You are listening to The Flood and Other Stories Podcast, original short stories written both in English and in French and read to you by the author. Welcome, my name is Constance Gontier. Today, you are listening to The Flood. There is but one McDonald's restaurant in York. On weekends, at noon, its upper floors crowded with families and groups of youngsters, adolescents from these parts with loud working-class voices ringing with powerful Yorkshire accents, the boys dark and harsh, the girls loud and blonde. One midday of September 2012, a chilly, rainy day, such a group of adolescents was having lunch at one of the tables just up the flight of stairs. Alex dipped his chips into the ketchup sauce thinning out on the greasy paper that had wrapped his Big Mac. He had turned 18, but a few days ago. He had made no fuss over it, happy to hand out slices of the oversweet sponge cake to his sisters and parents and go to the king's head on his own to order a lager. In truth, he did not have the heart to celebrate, casting weary eyes on the group of bottom setters they formed. Alex was a long and lanky young man with a sunken and bony northern face his immense dark blue eyes topped with very black hair, his features irregular and ending in a chaotic pointed jaw. The hardness of his pale head matched the rough and dancing intonation of his accent. He sported grey fleece pants and a red football t-shirt, like all the other lads. Before passing his top on that morning, he had sat bare-chested on his bed, and thus remained deeply absorbed in his thoughts, entirely unaware of the gracefulness of his white and lanky limbs bathed in the grey light, of the protruding bones of his shoulders and collarbone, and of the bony slimness of his hands. For Alex unconsciously carried the delicacy of a young man, just brushing manhood, he had left his bed for his window to look at the facades of the other bricked houses and their backyards, closely huddled together in a disorder of walls and windows that the monotonous front of his street concealed. He had glanced down at his own backyard, invisible beneath a puddled roof of corrugated iron, then turned to the screen of his phone abandoned on the bed to read the message from one of his friends. He lived in one of the dreary-looking streets between Her Road, Tenghall and the A1036. When he was very bored, he wandered to the Morrison down for Silence Road, where the old Victorian chimney jired grimly over the car park. Alex crumpled the greasy paper into a bowl, munching the last bite of his Big Mac. Some kids trotted past their tables. He glanced at the window looking onto Blake Street. Every place, every house in York, 
somehow seems to ooze with the domineering weather. The McDonald's upper floor conveying within the uncomfortable and chilly dampness, the soaked charms of the city, and displayed its unadorned face with its rain-swept customers laden with coats and plastic trays under the unflattering glare of the electric light. The adolescents had finished their lunch and too many families were waiting for a table for them to linger on too long. The dark clouds had ceased to pour rain on the pavement and a dun-coloured sun cleared the bricked walls, yellowing them before it was all greyed again, the city centre washed and dripping. York streets are packed very close. They allow no glimpse of what lies beyond them. It is a city closed upon itself, the houses gathered in dead ends. The eye is always stopped in its course, even from the Roman walls. On weekends, its streets are thronged till one suffocates. Alex knew of the moors that expand beyond and of the green-hedged fields that gently slope up and down to the Howardian hills, brown and barren and smoky on such September days, vast breathing hills swept with the same icy gales that skim over the ooze all winter long. It is in those parts the sky can find a colour between silver and white and throw it over the naked trees. But Alex's Yorkshire was a maze of red brick walls and back alleys and Morrison's gyring tower. The group of teenagers left Blake Street and each departed their own way. See ya! See ya! Alex walked down the city centre to the river's quay, with its cobbles all puddled and shiny. Alex had left off school at 16 after years of failure and never kept a job. Both his parents had been unemployed for years. He had worked a little while at the Nestle factory, but found the state's benefits leaden the soul less. Still, since the days of his childhood, he had loved that the river Ouse should so strongly smell of chocolate that night. Alex had successively been a cashier in the Pound World on Coney Street and at the Aldi store off Fulford Road. But he had quickly ceased to attend and rapidly got the sack. In many ways it was not the idea of living off benefits that pressed upon him. He was drawing on between four blind walls, turning at each of their angles and knowing their asperities more than he knew those of his soft white body. Of course there might be jobs in Leeds or Newcastle or even in Manchester, but then there was nothing that he wanted to do, so that York was just as good as any other place. Alex was now walking along the river. The Oss is a sinuous liquid spine that runs across the city, making it aware of its power in flooding surges. Everyone in York is used to the Oss flooding. It is part of the common lot to wonder whether one can or cannot go by the river on the avenue of high trees heading into town. Each flood leaves residues of slippery black mud 
that sticks the plane tree's leaves to the earth and to the cobbles, dumping and soiling the grass and sedges that curb down to the water. The rain and the cold and the wind assail York. Alex had learned to live with those three elements. They had shaped him. He never was unaware of the weather. It filled every thought of his, paced his steps, made him retreat in a pub. When he had worked at the Aldi store, Alex had learned to like the Fulford area, the elegant streets of old miners' houses and the bow windows, the closeness of the river with its abundance of trees and lawns, the dog walkers going deeper beneath the trees and the wooded southern bank of Roundtree Park. He still liked to go there and look at the ever-changing leaves and on the grassy borders of the Ouse. A snorting bulldog stemmed to him and he set one knee down to pet him. Cheers, love, it's nice to see you. He looked up to set his eyes on the lady addressing him. She was a cashier at Aldi, an expert in the art of scanning the items back into the trolley at a formidable speed. But then, she had done so for twenty years. He stared at her, at her tired face and tied back yellowish-grey hair, at the worn skin and undefinable silhouette. A gust of wind unsettled the lock of Alex's dark hair that brushed his eyebrows. What are you up to these days? She asked. Not much. Got a job? He shook his head. Autumn was very round about them, the light soft and the air almost tasted of earth and leaves and chestnuts. I hope you're happy in the mother. I had me mother and father when I were your age. Have a grown son like yourself? Ingo that notes? You lot in good at notebook playing video games and for Facebook and watching dirty films. Alexis Tuna contracted. Some powerful impression hit him there, but just as he was about to turn to it, he was distracted by the sight of what he recognized at once as university students. Some of those postgraduates that lived in Fulford calmly conversing, passing by at a strolling pace in nice autumn coats. His gaze kindled very softly as he watched them walk away. He was still bent over the cashier's bulldog, his graceful arm and hand reaching out to stroke it. Well, take care, love. Darlinda. He felt bruised when she had gone. He looked up at the red, withered leaves of the chestnut trees above, then took up his walk. His cheekbones flushed slightly. Alex was like a young tree, ever beaten by the rainy gales. The wind came to sweep his dark hair, brushing his dense eyebrows again and his great blue gaze. He set his long hand on his stomach, a new swell came to lap his lean body. He did not feel the cold. He never felt it. Autumn cast its warm russet glow through the grey air over the hazy and round silhouettes of the river trees. A skein of geese flew across the sky.
He sat down upon one of the picnic tables, his feet on the bench. He looked before him at Roundtree Park on the other bank, overhearing the two students now pacing back with their hands in their duffel coats pockets. She turned down my essay topic. I don't know what to think. The article was interesting. Yeah, that's also what I thought. Their voices died out in the barking of the collie. Alex watched their backs recede. He strode across Fulford Road and walked down Kilburn, fronted with middle-class houses, to the Lawmore elopement. The road opened and softened into a country lane. There, York plains down into a land of trees, hedges and vegetable gardens, mazing lanes in deep mud and looking down over the growing vegetables, flowers and the thick soil. The rain always makes it feel grassy and watery, the ground always largely puddled, the dense foliage on the walls drenched with the latest showers. Alex trudged up the path and passed the elopement's gate. His trainers dug deep in the muddy furrows. He stepped on the planks of wood. The smell of grass and leaves mounted and circumvoluted all around him. He found himself in an open meadow. This, the Wormgate stray, was the part of York Alex was most fond of. The only open perspective he had found this wind-swept meadow expanding to the army barracks and the university, skirted with trees and high yellow grass like hay. Alex liked to go to the fenced clearing and consider the lone horses. Standing thus, he remembered the stray deep in last winter's snow, shimmering on the grass, a white haze all over the horizon of dark naked trees and over the couple of horses the air steaming through their nostrils. He remembered the white geese padding on the thick layer of snow. He slowly took the path along the stray. A drizzling rain had begun to fall again. The line of trees was growing blurry behind the film, their green heads brushed and swept together with the grass. Alex's hands dove in the soft pockets of his fleece pants and hunching his shoulders, the young man trod on, unconcerned with his bare arms and solid white neck offered to the dancer shower, graying the stray and toning down the green and russet colours of the trees. Again, Alex leant on his window pane and stared at the pouring rain beating the corrugated iron over the backyard, enlarging the puddles that would later glisten and reflect the grey sky. He watched the gust torment the bare washing lines in the neighbour's yards, then his blocked horizon of brick, stonework and back alleys. His fleece pants fell low on his skinny hips, letting the elastic of his underwear appear where his back, bare again, slightly curved. Moles discreetly speckled its long bony whiteness, 
he set the palm of his hand on the cold pane. This time, there were no texts from anyone. He could hear his parents' massive TV below downstairs. The social worker was due today. He did not mind her. It always cheered his mother up to have her to talk to, and she had frank, honest manners and a neatness about her. But she was bound to ask questions, and he never had the answers. No, he had not found a job, and no, he had not looked for one. There was a knock on his door. His mother came in discreetly, an overweight lady with a reddened face and dark blue eyes, tarnished by cares and boredom and the creeping imbecility they cause. Be a dearie, Alex, go get some tea and cakes for Miss Wright. He nodded and passed on his football t-shirt quickly. She handed him a tenner. Get something nice, eh? Cheers, love. Alex grabbed a hoodie to cover himself from the rain. It was mid-afternoon and the evening was already setting. The yellow lamps had lit up and shed a lighter blue around their rainy halo and beamed in streaks on the quiet streets, the brick houses slowly waning. Alex reached the busy and ugly for silence road and went up towards the lone chimney rearing against the growing night. People hurried under their umbrellas back to their cars, which shuffled by in splashing waves breaking onto the pavement. Alex hunched his shoulders and walked more quickly. The rain was pouring heavily. He reached the chimney standing alone in the car park and lifted his head. The soaring red tower and angry skies made a frightening sight from below. The rain fell on his face. The bleak Morrison glowed in the fiercer evening. The thunder growled and lined dark clouds with yellow. Alex felt like crying. He went past the automatic doors and drew off his hood in a quick gesture. His grey-blue eyes were shining. For a moment, standing by the magazines, warm again and drowsy, he no longer knew what he had come here for. His black hair stuck to his white brow with rain. He was dizzy with the neon light brightening the cool space of the supermarket. Suddenly remembering, he paced quickly to the cake's shelves. His eyes raced over the products and their prices. He squeezed a tenner and his fleece pants pocket into a ball. A lady pushing a trolley with her child stood by him. She expertly made her choice and walked on. Alex's heart began to drum. He picked some sponge cakes, apple pies and virgin buns with some fancier icing topping them and toffee popcorn. He tried to add up all the items' prices but his head was in the model and his long hands braced everything together helplessly. He hoped for the best and dashed the check out, only to recall the tea and hurry back, regretting not to have taken a basket to begin with. The torrential rain poured on outside. The Morrison seemed even yellower and bleaker for it. When he ran back in the rain to his house and reached the padded entranceway, he found the social worker had arrived in his absence. There he is. Alex made a promiscuous entry into the living room, laden with dripping yellow plastic bags. 
You shouldn't have gone through such force for my sake, Miss Wright exclaimed. What did you pick? his mother said, taking the bags from him. Alex stood uneasily in the middle of the room, suddenly feeling too tall and lanky. He took off his hoodie and used it like a towel over his hair, dishevelling it more. His large blue eyes crossed Miss Wright's gaze. Don't stone their addling, his mother called from the kitchen. Come and help me. She poked her head out in the living room. He's just turned 18, she added at the social worker's attention as that were some kind of achievement. Happy birthday, Alex, Miss Wright gently said. Alex had decided to stand in the doorway to the kitchen by the sofa. Miss Wright had sat in the armchair. Mugs were smoking with tea and the coffee table was soon piled upon with Alex's cakes. The living room, too small for them all, looked into the backyard and up at the neighbouring houses. Bold and covered with tattoos, Alex's father was watching the TV with a can of beer in his hand. They had to talk over the sounds of the show. The poorer they are, the greater the overdraft, Miss Wright would later tell her housemates in the car. The bigger the TV. And how are you doing, Alex? She asked in her drawling voice. Oh, is a dear lad, his mother said. Just to meet up with your friends, Miss Wright added unexpectedly. Play football with them. Not so much, no, his mother intervened again. He leant over the coffee table and picked up his tea. Have you thought about getting back to school? Learn some craft, maybe? Alex's face shut. Something had vaguely lit up in him and died out at once. Again, he felt something that searched down inside him, a prying hand. What about a career advisor? Now Alex was sick with it all. He glanced at the figure of his bellied father, ignoring the social worker, and felt a wave of sympathy for him. The big bald man had frowned, keeping his eyes obstinately fixed on the screen. Alex had a quick smile looking at his blue eyes and thick black moustache, and found he sided with him. The poorer, the bigger the TV. Alex was lying topless on his bed, his profile in his pillow. His palms had met by his mouth, as in prayer. His knees were folded a bit, his eyes opened very wide. He was looking at the rain, which had been steadily falling for days. When it stopped for a very short while, York House's red brick seemed even redder against the grey and cloudy sky. But then it resumed, and the wind never stopped blowing. His window shook on its hinges. It was the middle of the day. Alex kept his eyes fixed on the rain-beaten pane. The big TV was blowing downstairs. His phone roared on the bedside table. His heart gave a start. He looked at its screen, lit up for two seconds and off again but incepted no move to seize it. Alex! He heard his father call out from the living room. He closed his eyes 
and remained very still. Alex, come down here! York Santelli! The young man frowned on his bed. He dragged himself out of his room and down the stairs. His father, still slouched in his armchair, rose excited eyes to him as he came in. Look! Look at the streets! Yes, York was on the news, and all the northern country. Look at them cars in the water! People have died! Alex's father looked up at his son again, white-chested and delicate beside him. You'll catch your death soon. Alex sat down in a sofa to watch the news with his father, but soon found his heart was drumming too hard. Suddenly restless, he strode upstairs to put on his hoodie and wellies and slammed out of the house, heading into town. Watch out, son! He heard his father shout out from his armchair. It was no common flood. The oaths, bursting and swollen up, had engulfed all the flat country, turning it into some vast mirror, interspersed with green crowns of trees bobbing out of its surface. The coarse water lapped the brick streets and had swallowed the river's quay. The feet of the warehouses had disappeared. The trees that had lain their round cheeks upon the river's water had half sunk beneath the grey marshes tinted with brown, a placid looking glass for the York September sky. The rain had stopped. Alex trudged through several inches of water. People were trying to save their ground floors, piling sandbags down their front doors and pumping the ooze back in its bed. Alex took in the spectacle before his eyes, his welly sunk in the water and his hands in the pockets of his fleece pants. He directed his steps to Fulford. He gazed upon the flooded streets. Blood seemed to be running more quickly through his veins. On the A64, bordering the suburb, the cars seemed to drive over a lake. The waters advanced on the flat greens and fields. The grassy meadows of the Fulford Ings and of the Naves Mire were fully drowned. Uptown, the rain had washed the grey stones of the pavement, and all was soaked and dreary. All, save for the thought that followed those large marshes, where a river had sinewed between the heads of the trees to the woods and lawns beyond the Millennium Bridge. Alex stood at the end of Maple Grove, giving onto the flooded banks. He breathed in deeply the cool watery air. A gust came to sweep the dark locks on his brow and he brushed his eyes. He was contemplating the vast extent of water that had submerged with such vigour all his familiar world, the oath like a broad sweeping liquid hand, offering a view at last, an expanding promising view, meeting the grey sky and smelling of the fallen leaves of plain and chestnut trees. And standing before his view, Alex had tears in his eyes.
You've listened to The Flood, a short story written and read by Constance Gontier, and the first episode in English of The Flood and Other Stories podcast. Please do like and follow here and on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. Coming soon, another short story to discover.